Welcome to The Unstoppable Singer. I'm your host, Danielle Tucker, a professional vocalist, vocal coach, and a lead singer of the Mighty Untouchables Band. I'm also the producer and host of the Pandemic Proof Singer Summit and The Unstoppable Singer. The Unstoppable Singer follows the lives of real professional singers who've made incredible achievements in their lives and careers. We cover everything from voice work, making money, booking gigs, songwriting, recording, session work, and more. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button so you never miss another podcast. Now on with the show. It is John Robert Hall. He is an American singer-songwriter that began singing in movies, TV shows, and albums. He's contributed his voice to Florida Georgia Line, Childish Gambino, Celine Dion, Josh Groban, Michael Jackson, and many more. He has sang in movies such as Armageddon, Deep Impact, Jungle Book 2, Tarzan, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, Star Wars Rogue One, Glee, Sing, Sing 2, and many, many more. He also starred on Broadway's Wicked, the musical as Fierro, and um, lost my place, Stacey Jacks uh, in Rock of Ages, and Tom, Tom Chisholm in Grease Live on Fox. He has written music for many artists across all genres and is currently working on an immersive musical experience of The Great Gatsby that'll be premiering in Las Vegas in 2023 at the Virgin Hotel Las Vegas. So let me bring him on. John. Hey. How are you? I'm great. Good. Thanks for being here tonight. It's really great to see you and meet you virtually tonight. Yeah, it looks beautiful in your background. I should have put up some Christmas lights or something. It's very festive (laughs) here now. It's okay. amazing. (laughs) Wow. I had, a, I have kids. I had a lot of time to work on this. So, oh, it looks so good. Thank yeah. you. Good Thank to you. be here. So this is basically for reals, our fireside chat. Yeah, I know. I have a fire <laughs> out there, but the vibe is not as cool as that. That looks Aww. great with the tree. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Well, John, um, let's just dive in. Let's talk about this year. I know this year's kind of wrapping up, but mm-hmm. uh, how's the year been for you coming back from kind of a crazy couple of years? Um, what are what are you involved in right now? What do you have going on? Thank you. Yeah, this year has been crazy. You know, um, as an entertainer, life is always just this, you know, mm-hmm. constantly. And, um, you know, COVID is t- has been tough. So that kind of set me and my wife, Tiffany Malari, who um, is actually just headed back to Wicked to do, uh, I met her in Wicked. Awesome. She's a dancer. She was a flying monkey. And yeah, I was Fiero. And so we did that about four years ago together. And that's where we mm-hmm. met. And then uh, the pandemic happened and everything just kind of like, it started to be one of those lulls for, for most of us. Yeah. So uh, this year's kind of been the little bit of a comeback. Um, And, you know, we lived in Nashville all of basically end of 2020 and all of 2021. We Mm -hmm. lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and I was uh, signed to a record label and I was writing an album and writing for other artists and doing um, artist stuff. And Mm -hmm. kind of it was sort of not a pivot because I'd always done that stuff, but it was definitely a new venture for me. Mm -hmm. And um, so we ended up moving back here in like about nine, eight months ago. Mm-hmm. And it's been just a transitional year, really. Just um, coming back, re resetting myself in, you know, the place that I grew up in LA and mm-hmm. keep telling everybody I'm back. 
really. Yeah. It's been a lot of that. <laughs> hey guys, I'm still here. I'm here now. You know? Yeah. Um, what, that's, what is that like? Um, you know, we, as musicians, we spend years and years establishing ourselves in one, you know, in one market, right? Yeah. In whatever market yeah. you're in LA, New York, or I'm in the San Diego area or Nashville. Mm -hmm. um, what is that like for you to have to pick up, go elsewhere, reestablish, and then come back? Is it, um, do you find that it's kind of easy to come back, reconnect, or is it starting from scratch all over again? You know, in life, it's starting to get harder than it used yeah. to be. As I get older, that starts to get a little harder because you start to uh, crave stability mm -hmm. and a little bit of grounding. And I think um, when you're younger, you can do that because it's, you know, you don't have as many responsibilities and you kind of mm -hmm. just, you know, you don't really crave like family as much. You kind of wanted to get away from that. But now mm -hmm. I'm kind of in the place where I'm a little bit craving stability and grounding. And so, you know, being back here has been nice because my family's here. My fa I'm from Southern California, mm -hmm. Thousand Oaks came, you know, was born here and then moved to Indiana, Arizona till I was about 10 and then moved back to Thousand Oaks. And that's when I started, you know, doing music for real mm -hmm. um, as a session singer, you know, okay. so. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're in Nashville, come, you came back to LA. What brought you back to LA and what have you been uh, mostly involved with since you've been back? Yeah. Um, right now I have been in, what brought me back was that me and my wife just needed to move back from Nashville because it was the place we just needed it for our hearts. Yeah. I think more okay. than anything, um, in terms of work and writing and music for me, I love it in Nashville and I, it's my second home. I go back there all the time, but, um, we needed to come back for, for both of our mental health. Um, but I, I, so like I said, I'd been re I'd been re kind of connecting with people. Mm -hmm. It's just starting to get busy again. I just got this little gig in, for Disney, a Disney animated thing I'm doing and, um, doing some other Disney stuff actually in Nashville, weirdly got to be out there again to do some, but you know, it, it's, it's been slow though, in terms of getting myself back in the session singing world, because mm -hmm. you leave that world and it kind of forgets you a little bit because there's a lot of great singers out here. Yeah. Um, it is a small group though. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're lucky enough to get involved in it, it's like, it's a blessing. Um, but uh, I've also been writing a musical that I worked started working on it in the middle of 2020, uh, the great the Gatsby um, project. And so we have been we've been locked in with a with a deal um, with Virgin in in uh, Las Vegas, and mm -hmm. that's a new hotel. And we're excited about what might happen with that. And it's been a slow. I've never done a musical before, but the process is so slow and it's more of an experience, too. So there's a lot of pieces that go into it. It's immersive and um, Gatsby became public domain in 2020. So at least we don't have to deal with paying for the rights. Um, but it's been a process and it's kind of taking wings in lots of different ways um, mm -hmm. that I can't really open up about as of now, but they, it is going to be something that's been exciting, but it's been a lot of work and a lot of stress. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's kind of the new next thing for me. Um, but I have also been very focused in writing music and, uh, I took, put the artist thing. I hate saying, put it on hold mm -hmm. because that sounds like I'm not doing it anymore, but I'm, I was releasing a song a month for two and a half years. Um, and I was really kind of very focused on that trajectory and 
uh, after I released the album, there was a bit of a lull and a bit of a, a depression in that I was sad. Like it didn't do what I wanted it to. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's taken about this much time since I released the album to kind of feel like, okay, maybe I could release another song or, you know, cause you, you, you put a lot into these songs and it's all about quantity and less quality these days. Mm, so you, okay. people are constantly just putting out a lot of music, you know, mm -hmm. Um, so for me, that was a huge, um, that was tough to kind of go through that. But at the same time, life's all about learning these new little lessons and, and these, these little things. And for me, that was one that I'm, um, I needed to learn because I was just, you know, I, you know, everybody, if you put your heart into something, you're going to get hurt. It's, it's, it's yeah. always gonna stuff like that is, is, um, inevitable. So yeah, that brought me back to LA. Mm -hmm. doing Gatsby and I've been focusing on that had a great meeting today about it and, and the session work I'm doing a lot of that and the family brought me back but yeah yeah that's great well welcome back yeah <laughs> well, there's a lot I want to ask you about uh with this, yeah. the, the songwriting and with Gatsby mm -hmm. let's let's start with Gatsby since that's mm -hmm. that's a big deal that is a really mm -hmm. really awesome opportunity um yeah. I know you know there's definitely aspects of it that you can't discuss at this point, no. but um, tell me what you can as far as what inspired you to start this project and how yeah. has it unfolded for you? Well, it was uh, originally my my writing partner is Bradley Bredewig, who wrote The Fosters and Good Trouble. <clears throat> he created both those shows. He's also a producer on Dear Evan Hansen and Moulin Rouge and a sh uh, doing a show at the walls right now um invincible with pat benatar and we were he you know maybe five years ago he uh, we met on another project and we just hit it off and i had been writing music i went on the road with wicked and i had been always just sending him music because i originally it was kind of wanted to show him music that you know show him that i could write songs and maybe get him on his shows good trouble mm -hmm. and whatnot and then you know, over time, I just started thinking, man, I also just love telling these stories. Let's let me, let me I'm just going to ask him if we could write something together, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so I did. And then we started working on this project that I had this idea for a musical that uh, we started going on that. And that'll be goals we want to do as well. But we were working on that. And all of a sudden he was approached by another production company to do this immersive experience of a show, kind of like they did with Stranger Things during mm -hmm. COVID. And they, so it was 1540 was the production company and they asked him and he looked up and saw that Gatsby was going to be public domain. Mm -hmm. And uh, he pitched that idea and then he, um, to them and they're like, yeah, let's go do it. So then he called me, I wrote a song. Um, and then it started just, the ball started rolling after that. And um, it became, it was originally just going to be, you know, an LA experience that turned into what it is now. Um, and it's, it's super exciting. There's like, it's on a, it's a big scale deal. Um, and it could be wonderful. And I'm, you know, constantly crossing my fingers and constantly just, um, like dumbing down how excited I am about it. <laughs> Cause you never know. <laughs> you just constantly, but I, I yeah. know that it's going to be great when it happens. Yeah. And I, um, and I'm really thrilled to be a part of it and have written the music. Yeah, I'm excited for you. That's a huge deal. That's very cool. I can only imagine too, writing a musical, producing a musical, that has got to be an absolute beast of a project. Yeah. And you're telling me that, so this is the first 
that you've written the first that you've gotten involved in the actual writing production of one? So I've written a bunch of like shorts, uh, uh -huh. you know, here and there. I've run, done, you know, written tons of music. But with this also, it sounds a musical actually makes it sound like it's like a Broadway 24 song musical. Mm -hmm. This is more of an experience, a spectacle, um, mm -hmm. closer to a Cirque vibe. But I mean, we try not to call it a Cirque show because it really just is. And it's it's an experience and it's mm -hmm. immersive and it's a it's nine to 10 songs. So um, it's not a full musical mm -hmm. uh, deal. And so that's why it's been a little bit of a, a easier thing because I, I think musicals often take six to eight years to get right. up and running and, you know, people make that their life's work. So I've been fortunate enough that this is kind of a great segue into possibly writing a real big musical eventually. Um, yeah. But I, I definitely think this is the perfect segue for that. Um, yeah. But this one kind of just started rolling. I mean, also, you already have the source material from Gatsby. Mm -hmm. You know, you have the book, you have the movies, movie. And and I feel like I've just, I was able, and I was allowed to pull from all of it too, because it's, you know, public domain. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of, there was, it was a lot, not easier, but a, it was a lot um, more, it was, it was easier for me to do than just pulling an original music out of my pocket. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That is, I, that's so exciting. I can't wait to see um, how that develops for you. I'll definitely be Thank keeping you. an eye yeah. out and I might have to take a You'll trip to Vegas yeah. to come out and see it. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, um, so you know what, I want to just comment on one of those, one point that you made about how, you know, some shows can take six to eight years. And I think that that's something that the general public or even, even just a general music audience doesn't realize how yeah. long the life of a musical is from start to finish or yeah. from start to stage. And just yeah. the years of, you know, rewriting, developing, casting, how long that process takes, it's really unbelievable. Yeah. It's like, I, I'm, you know, a novice in that, you know, cause this is like really my first musical of ever. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've been a part of, and this is the reason, reason why I've been able to do this is because, you know, I've kind of, you know, I'm 35 now, so I'm not a kid that hasn't experienced things. I've done T I was on Glee for, mm -hmm. you know, four years. I was on three seasons of it as a warbler. I think it was like 18 episodes. I've, I've experienced on camera stuff where we're dancing, singing, you know, what rehearsals like. I know it's necessary behind this, you know, in the studio recording the music for that. I was a session singer before I actually got on camera. Mm -hmm. I've been on, you know, on big stages doing big shows like Wicked and, um, and Rock of Ages. I've been in Vegas. I did Rock of Ages at the Venetian for a year residency, yeah. playing a lead role. So, um, and then, yeah, I've done background vocals since I was nine years old for movies and commercials and TV shows. So I've, I've, I've seen like what it takes. I had just never written one. Yeah. And I think um, that in itself helped me, you know, kind of like when, once the opportunity came, I knew what to do. Plus, I've been writing songs, you know, my whole life since I was a little high school kid in a rock band. So, I mean, yeah, I kind of I kind of knew what to do. And I think I don't I think it's dude, anybody can do anything if you just put your mind to it, put your heart in it and your heart's in it. Like 
I don't think, you know, just because you got all the credits in the world doesn't mean you're the best at doing what you do. And I think people need to know that um, because for this situation, yeah, it's my first musical, but sometimes your first musical is the best thing you ever did. I mean, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> like that happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. I love that point. And with this being um, somewhat of, you know, one of your first experiences diving into, you know, a production this mm -hmm. large, have, have you found along the way, have you had um, experienced any kind of that um, imposter syndrome where you think like, who am I to be doing this? And, and if so, you know, how have you dealt with that? My whole life is imposter syndrome. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> I feel like everything, everything that happens, you know, I mean, anytime I do anything, I'm just like, what are you doing here? You know, when I played Fiero, I was like, how am I playing Fiero? Like, mm -hmm. there's people that went to college for musical theater to do this. Yeah. I, this is my fourth musical I've ever done, you know? So I felt like that's, that's been my career, but it's not true in, in the end. Like everybody's life leads to, to, you know, prepares you for things. You're not just falling into a position. I mean, there's a reason why I got Fiero. Right. Because I was session singing, working with Stephen Schwartz, and then Mark Platt saw me in Grease Live. And then, mm -hmm. you know, these things all happen for a reason. So, I mean, uh, but our minds can be dangerous things sometimes. And, um, like, for sure for this, I've, I've had imposter syndrome in terms of, you know, being like, wow, how am I involved in such a big production? But, you know, I always come back to, especially with this, like, you know, you've been writing music and really preparing for this moment. It actually, for me, makes sense, this musical. Mm -hmm. It really makes sense for me. And I, I, I feel like I want to do more of it, you know? Yeah. It's one of those things um, that it just, uh, I, I feel I was prepared. You know what I mean? I think that's what big thing. It's like when you're prepared for something, and it's working. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, you're going to have imposter syndrome. That means probably you're a humble person. <laughs> yeah. Know? Totally true. Totally yeah. true. And it sounds like, you know, now fast forward to these days, you've had a long career where you've had those years to develop that self awareness or that understanding of imposter syndrome. You know it when you see it and you can yeah. kind of, you can redirect yeah. your mind and, and, you know, kind of give yourself that affirmation that, like, yeah, you know, I guess I am being humble about this, but you know, when you really look at, you know, your career as a whole, you say, yes, I should be here. This, this is exactly yeah. where I should be. Yeah. yeah. Just, you never feel, I never, I mean, I feel like I am old 35. I feel like somewhat old in terms of just the industry. I've been here cause I'm from LA and I've been doing this a long time, but mm -hmm. I also just feel like, man, I mean, it's, I've been, I feel like everything that I've done has led to each point that I get to, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. I feel, I feel very grateful to have these little arms of, of kind of work that I'm doing mm -hmm. because, um, I think I'd get bored just doing one thing all the time. Mm -hmm. Even if it's one aspect of the entertainment industry, I might just be like, you know, if I'm, all I'm doing is musicals, singing and performing live. Like, I think I'd get, I'd miss the creative, mm. you know, behind the scenes, writing the projects or the or they're writing the songs, you know? Yeah. So yeah. definitely and then the session singing is the same way doing, you know, I've been session singing since I was nine years old and it started out doing just background vocals for, you know, big artists. Honestly, it was a tossed into a giant 
wonderful career um getting hired by bobby page i don't know if you know bobby or Edie or Edie layman and sally stevens these are all contractors when i was a kid mm -hmm. and just inspiring people that put me on projects with these massive composers and mm -hmm. um gave me the opportunity to learn from the best on how yeah. to you know be in this industry and also be professional i think that was a huge thing because i was such a just a crazy little add kid that you know couldn't hold still mm -hmm. <laughs> so <clears throat> to be in these big massive studios and have to like you know be calm i just, I just learned a lot of lessons yeah. Yeah. What a great start. That's, that's perfect um, segue because I definitely, I want to go back to the beginning with you and to see how yeah. did you get started in all this? Cause you were so young. Were you coming from a musical family or tell us about how you got yeah. started? My mom and dad met and the continental singers, my dad was from Dublin, okay. Georgia, and my mom was from Santa Monica and they just happened to meet in this, in this continental singers group out of high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, out of high school. And, um, you know, they, yeah, they're, they're, they're great singers. Like they didn't end up pursuing it to their career for their career, but they were always great singers. And we, you know, we ended up, you know, when we were kids, I've, there's four of us, it's me and older, my older brother, younger sister and youngest brother. We all sing in some okay. way. And our whole family would do like, we, we, Von Hall family, they would call us back in, <laughs> you know, at my dad, uh, we were at Calvary in in Westlake and we were you know singing four part harmony five part harmony you know <laughs> doing these doing these songs so we always we I had that experience on stage of doing singing in church I think a lot of those session singers have that experience too mm -hmm. from LA so yeah. um that's and I my mom was from Santa Monica and she knew at the time she she knew a lady named uh uh Schillinger. Oh my gosh. The Schillingers. Um, Lori Schillinger and they, they were other session singers and they were like, oh my gosh, your kids can sing. They should meet Bobby Page. And so we went mm -hmm. and sang for Bobby when we were like eight years old wow. and eight or nine. And my brother ended up getting a job for the first time. I was too young. He got the show. He got the movie Anastasia doing just background vocals in the choir. Mm -hmm. And I was so sad that I didn't get to be a part of it. I was just like crying to my mom. Like, Why didn't they ask me? I didn't understand. And then, um, and Bobby was like, we love Johnny, but he's, he's too young. He can't, yeah. he can't, he can't hold still. But then <laughs> she gave me, she gave me a shot. My first job, I think was on the Drew Carey show being like one of the kids singing. Oh no, the Drew Carey show. Yeah, I was his son. In the Drew Carey show, and there was like there was like eight of us. One of them was the kid from um, Little Rascals, the smart kid. Okay, <laughs> glasses. And um, so we did that, and that was like my first job and first kind of doing a background vocals. And then like my second gig or something like that was for this Michael Jackson, what? Um, the History album, singing the "All I Want to Say Is That They Don't Really Care About Us." No, we were in the studio. it was like a bunch of kids, and I think it was an ED thing because um, Michael Boddicker worked with him and. I think that's her, that's her husband. So mm -hmm. I think that's how that worked. I can't quite remember. I was still like nine years old, Jeez. but we, yeah, we did vocals for that. And I think just, I had all these amazing jobs growing up and the experience was incredible. I did Armageddon, Deep Impact, Amistad, Hush, Jungle Book 2, Scream 3, uh, Royal Tenenbaums. Um, these are all the ones in the past, like a long time ago, uh, instinct i say that one 
the Grinch Who Stole Christmas, um, Prince of Egypt was a really cool one. Mm. Amistad was one of the coolest things because we got to sing. My favorites were Amistad and I think Deep Impact was incredible because we got to sing in the Streisand studio with, oh, um, wow. with uh, who was the composer? Oh my God, Deep Impact. Um, I'm blanking, but they don't do this much anymore, but we had the whole orchestra, we had the whole choir and we had the movie, you know, the screen behind us and the red light flips on and he's in there, you know, he's conducting us and, and you hear the piano go start out in silence, be like, and it's just like, it was just the most amazing moment. And I remember being that young and also just thinking, wow, this is incredible. Like, yeah. I can't move on this riser though, because it is squeaky, <laughs> but like, I remember just like really being thrilled with it. And, and, and I can remember back to that moment and I was pretty young. Um, so it was, yeah, I, I, I got some pretty awesome experiences like that. Got to perform on the Donnie Marie Osmond show with, uh, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Mm. We did the American wow. Teacher Awards every year with Christine Aguilera. Like the experience I've had as a kid doing session singing work was absolutely ridiculous and now a lot of those singers fletcher sheridan whose session sings now everywhere um uh oh my gosh nelson beato if you know him he's just his voice is ridiculous and mm -hmm. all these all these people that were kids with me growing up and now they're still doing it it's so cool um and i still do it here too as much as i get the calls to do it but i've also kind of branched out to do a lot of different things so it's it's harder to get get those calls than they used to be. <laughs> right. That's incredible. What an unbelievable start to your career at eight, nine years old. So yeah. you're eight, nine, ten doing these major motion pictures in these huge um, professional studios with, you know, major composers and everything. How does that start shaping your vision for your future as a singer yeah. performer? Were you thinking mm -hmm. at that time, well, I'm just going to keep doing this. I'm going to, you know, session work is kind of my love, my passion. Mm -hmm. Or did it start pointing you towards something else? Were you, you know, building momentum as far as like wanting to be an independent artist or, yeah. or Broadway? Where, where was it pointing you? I mean, it kind of, I always say this because I'm a unique case in terms of light. Like when I have kids, like I don't think I'm going to coach them the way that you know, I should, I guess, because for instance, I, I, I was put into this industry mm -hmm. and it almost chose me more than I chose it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm a very, very lucky case where it's all I love to do. Yeah. It's all I ever want to do. And I'll also like it, it doesn't always pay the bills for, for, you know, people, it's like, you can't go into this thinking it's everything. Cause if I, if I did, I would only be session singing. Cause that paid the bills. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That gave me insurance. That's all this. But I, you know, session singing was incredible growing up and it, it could still be amazing. I majored in music and learned, you know, musicianship in college and theory. And, um, but I came back and I was so much more drawn to the performative aspect mm -hmm. opposed to, being behind the scenes, um, I just I like I crave being on stage and being in front of people and and mm -hmm. 
and just like, I don't know. It's just how I've always been. I've always been that guy. And that just, that chose me as well. I mean, but I do think that I had a choice at that point to kind of continue to do what I was doing. After college, I came back, I connected with Tim Davis and he led me down the roads of uh, doing background vocals for Glee. And mm -hmm. I was doing background vocals financially. What an incredible opportunity. And then it, I started being on camera with the show because there was this group called the Warblers that um, that was offered up. You know, Tim said, hey, hey uh, Ryan Murphy's looking for some good looking boys to be in this group. And mm -hmm. I was sitting there and I was like, I'll do it. And so it's just as easy as that. <laughs> I think I had to send a headshot in and then they chose. But, you know, they chose um, they chose about six of us and we went on and we did Teenage Dream for that first episode and it blew up and then they kept some of us for the rest of the time. And yeah. that was the, the impetus for me to kind of keep going, you yeah. know, in that world. It was like, I, I didn't, I, I was a college football player too mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, okay. you know, on a full scholarship playing, you know, <clears throat> very bro -y football. And so to go on a show like Glee at this time in 10 years ago, or what was it? I guess that's, no, it's way longer than 10 years ago. This is 2000. This is, oh no, it's about 10 years ago, actually. Yeah. 10 years ago. Um, 10 years ago, I, I was, I had no idea. I was nervous about getting into on-camera work doing glee i was you know that's i was a big tough football player and i was like mm -hmm. i'm gonna now be in a you know a theater group and um but i i went on and it, it literally fit me like a glove i mean it was like i couldn't have been more perfect for that show and that environment and those people and um it showed me wow john you should try to sing and dance and act live too because okay. that's that's something that um that's what i learned doing glee I mean, I was put shot out of a cannon with that show. I mean, I had no idea how to dance, never danced in my life. And all of a sudden I'm in this dancing group, you know, <laughs> and I'm the biggest guy in the group. I'm six, three, you know, <laughs> football player, you know, and I, and so I chose the like most meathead role, which was the beatboxer of the group. Uh -huh. So, and that was right off the bat in the first, uh, first episode, they're like, can anyone beatbox? And I was like me. And so, you know. I can beatbox like a five out of 10, you know, I'm okay. <laughs> like, I was like, I'll do that if that's a feature or something. Yeah. And it turned out to be, you know, um, uh -huh. but I think just saying yes was a good thing. So I, you know, and then we were on that thing for, for a long time. And I don't know, I just, I, I the performative aspect of my life has always continued to um, so be, be supported. I will say that acting wise, that's that's that was a brand new thing that I had to go take class for and try to understand mm -hmm. to in order to get actual roles that, you know, involved emotion. And mm -hmm. that was that's that's now something I can do, but I definitely couldn't do it when I first got into it. But everything I get usually in terms of acting has always had the music element to it, the singing mm -hmm. element. And so it's really cool that they've all kind of gone hand in hand over my career, mm -hmm. um, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, what's really fascinating about everyone that I interview, that's, you know, done major work in the industry, the one one through line that I notice about everybody is that it's never the singers who prepared, 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 and then ended up, you know, getting these great opportunities. It's the singers who are basically prepared, but just have so much grit and just yeah. enough self-confidence to throw their hat in the ring or enough gall to say like, 
yeah, I beatbox, you know, and yeah. just throw, throw themselves in there oh, and, really. and get this, you know, just on the job training. And it, there's something, there's something about that mindset um, that's so common that just says like, well, I don't exactly know how to do this, but I know I can, I know yeah. I can figure it out. You know, do yeah, you find that, that to be true? Yeah. Isn't that kind of true about a lot of things though, too? Like, you know, no one's going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. No one's going to be the best. There's always a better person. There's always right. a better, more prepared, more talented person. But the truth is you can choose to be the most squeaky wheel. You mm -hmm. can choose to be, you know, the most motivated or convincing. I, I don't know. Like that has always been a very big thing for me is, you know, I know I'm not the best singer in LA because that would be crazy to say. Just go over to one of Stevie Mackey's Tuesdays. Right. Tuesdays. <laughs> like every time I watch that, I'm like, oh, I'm never working. I quit. You know, <laughs> screw it. Uh, like he invited me one time and I was like, uh, do I have to sing? I'm not singing. <laughs> like, I'll just stand in the background and watch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's just not, it's, that's not the, that's not the key ingredient is yeah. who's the best. Um, it's really a big thing is how great are you to work with? Like, yeah. like how good of a person are you, especially in the session singing world, people are, you know, there's a lot of awesome people in that world that like, you know, they stay close because they know they're dealing with like a lot, a big thing. They're dealing with a big property that, um, that they're, and they, everybody knows that they're lucky to be there, Yeah, you know? Um, so, I mean, I, I, I definitely, yeah, I agree with you. It's yeah. like, that really, it's, that's one of the, probably one of the most fortunate things starting as young as you did is that you learned that probably that number one golden lesson of being in the business is that, you know, it isn't, I mean, your talent is definitely very, very important. And, you know, yeah. having the skill sets very important, but it is uh, what, what type of experience do people have when they work with you? And is mm -hmm. it the type of, uh, type of experience they want to return to time and time again? You know, how are you yeah. showing up for people? And um, at the end of the day, people want to work with who they like. Yeah. And, you know, I've over the years too, because like people will see my credits or, or see the session singing work and be like, whoa, that's, you know, everybody who says to me that's a singer, that's what I've wanted to do. Mm -hmm. How do I get involved? And like, my answer will be the same. Move to LA mm -hmm. in terms of session singing, <laughs> move to LA. And can you read music? Can you sight read music? Go take one of Gerald White's classes at SAG. Mm -hmm. Go, uh, go be, you have to engulf yourself in that industry, you mm -hmm. know, and, and whether it's now it's kind of so different with, with social media, I mean, posting, there's, there's so many ways to do it, but I mean, I, cause I can connect you to the next guy to Jasper and you know, he'll, he's going to say the same thing, like, okay, thank you. This is great. I got a hundred people in line, Yeah, you know, so put together amazing demo, go to one of Tim Davis's courses or, or, you know, there's just so many things you could do, um, before you ask for a phone <clears throat> number, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I mean, I'm always willing to like, listen, for sure, listening to a demo. I think demos are huge. 
you know, mm -hmm. it's just a representation of you. Um, and like that, if you don't have a demo immediately, I mean, that's probably the first thing you need to do. Right. <laughs> put together an awesome demo that shows off what you could do and let people know you're serious about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, that seems like great advice too. It definitely, maybe even looking at a demo as not having to be perfect, but at least something, some kind of calling card that you can put mm -hmm. out there. And if yeah. anything, get some feedback on it, you know, yeah. and, and know that you can always go back um, and change and edit. Follow your favorite singers. I mean, getting educated on is different. I'm totally willing to share any education. You know, I think mm -hmm. it's kind of a weird industry to get into session singing, you know? if that is a thing that people want to know, it's like, it's, it's a small niche group of people that do it. And, and, <clears throat> and it's not an audition process when you get the job. Usually it's, you know, you're contracted to do something because they know that you're a great tenor mm -hmm. and you know how to sight read and we need three of them. And we need one of them to do the tenor two part and one to do the one. And the composer likes somebody that's a little bit more on the pop side. So mm -hmm. you're perfect. You know what I mean? So they need to know you. So it's getting in with those contractors. And mm -hmm. that's that's something that is hard to find. That is something that is hard yeah. to. Yeah. yeah, but that's that's great advice that you laid out. Going back to the education piece of that, um, take me back to your musical training. I know you had the in-studio training course as growing up, the musical family and everything. But um, at San Luis Obispo, were you majoring in music or what? What were yeah. you? I was majoring in voice, uh, okay. vocal okay. performance. Mm -hmm. um, and I was playing football. Like, so it was two very, wow. <laughs> two very uniquely different things. Um, Cal Poly is not known for its music department or anything. So, you know, I went to Cal Poly. I knew I, I checked out a couple schools and had a couple scholarships to other schools. Um, but I knew that I wanted to major in music. Mm -hmm. get more educated in that world but um i had to choose to um, also the football had to was a big element because it was paying for my schooling sure so i you know i chose cal poly and cal poly um isn't known for its music department but it was such a small department i got so much attention and so mm -hmm. much you know um yeah attention that it just made it so much fun like i i loved my musical my music experience there loved the professors i have a lot of friends still from there um they gave me leeway on you know knowing that i have because music being a music major you know you're it's not it's not like get your homework done and then you're good it's like practice mm -hmm. piano practice and and it's re repetition and that's just the same as football so the time that I had to do anything else besides playing football, working out, lifting weights, running, and playing the piano, studying my, you know, scales and memorizing scales. Mm -hmm. I mean, all those types of things. I mean, the, I mean, musicianship. Um, that's just that's just locking it in. You know, mm -hmm. that's muscle memory, and that wasn't necessarily memor. You can't really memorize <laughs> what an interval sounds like. You know what I mean? You just have to hear it a million times till you know that that's just the muscle memory forth you know I, yeah. so i mean i i i had that i had that experience in, in college and it was awesome mm -hmm. um and I, I feel super blessed and lucky to have to have it yeah yeah so uh with the department being as small as it was i know up until kind of recent years most vocal performance majors were 
really rooted in classical music. Was that the case for you or was there any contemporary yeah. study? Yeah, ours still was rooted in classical music, but I was a weird case too because I was so pop. I mean, mm -hmm. I, you know, the most pop they let me do was a Josh Groban thing a couple of times, but mm -hmm. they mostly I was singing Nesrin Dorma and yeah. I was a tenor. So, you know, yeah, I mean, it was very, it was classical for sure. But honestly, memory wise, I, if you try to ask me a question, I'm a good luck memory, right. remembering much classical yeah. of that classical stuff if I'm being honest with you definitely I I'm the same I I was I had I studied classical music too and uh just you know life took me in a completely Gosh. different direction and so yeah I don't know all I know is that I I remember some fundamental things that I think yeah. really helped me as a vocalist yeah. along the way you know but um you know I, I that's what I was going to kind of ask you is just I'm curious to know if what that did for you for your pop stylings because you you were you already had a career going you already had yeah. your your musical style and then you jump into a world that is completely I mean in you know in classical study there is a right and a wrong way to do it in contemporary yeah. there's not so yeah I know how did huh? that how was that for you I think it was a good time to do it mm -hmm. um, now I just don't know. But, you know, now I wonder what, unless you're going in to be an opera, you want to be in the, you know, the LA uh, master chorale, mm -hmm. like that, because it, you know, the, the, the sight reading and the musicianship and the theory were what are super valuable now for me. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of the, you know, knowing, say, you know, all those things, mm -hmm. like it was cool to learn how people say things and how to write it out, yeah. but I'm never going to ever use that again for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. But I, I do feel grateful still of having learned that because I think like any industry, mm -hmm. you need to learn where you came from and learn where things, you know, have, have a, a broad span of, you know, or a deep, a deep history in because everything has a deep history. And, and so I think in knowing classical it has helped in some ways for me, mm -hmm. maybe the intangibles, but still yeah. um and i i kind of been proud of it too you know i think it legitimizes me in some ways now sure yeah yeah that's really interesting i know i i kind of always look back at my experience and i think well i think my biggest takeaway and it like you said it kind of legitimizes that i believe at least for myself as a vocalist i want to know every dimension of my voice i want to know completely mm -hmm. what the engine is yeah. capable of doing. I may yeah. not use every gear or every feature of it, but I want to know if it's there or not. Yeah. And if I want to pull it out of the, you know, toolbox, I know that it's there and I can yeah. use it at any time. And I know. Artistically, yeah. it's nice to know that you, you know, you can you can kind of experiment, try some different things, you know, when you know it is cool. Capable it is of. cool. If you hear my voice on a pop song mm -hmm. or a country song. You would have no idea that I can also sing an opera song. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's a pretty cool thing. And and then people are like, "Oh, how are you able to do that?" Because I went to college for opera, you mm -hmm. know. Um, so that's a cool. I like that. I mean, you look. Your voice is the cool thing about the voice is it can do other things. A saxophone sounds like a saxophone every time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it can it can translate, you know, it could change a little bit, but it usually sounds like the same instrument. Whereas, you know, we can 
sing and then we can sound like different very different types of voices you mm -hmm. know that's pretty cool yeah. um so i mean i i think knowing other styles is an advantage as a singer yeah um, yeah and opera to me strengthened my voice mm -hmm. um and you know taught me a lot of because i had never had a voice lesson before college wow. i just was kind of a natural singer that listened to michael jackson a lot and loved mm -hmm. that style so i would you know, mimic you mimic who you who you listen to it's just way, the way it is mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. yeah i listened to a lot of that so and i listened to a lot of pop and then i listened to a lot of emo punk rock and so my voice is what it is now but I think it would have been pretty one-dimensional if I hadn't gone to college and also realized I can do that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah. So that's great. And, yeah. Pretty cool. So pushing forward then, so you, you're coming from this incredible background. You've got the, the uh, pop world, you've got classical world now. So now, you know, there's so many dimensions of your voice you have to work with artistically. How mm -hmm. did you segue into the world of songwriting and, and more of that artistic pursuit? Yeah. Well, I always wrote music growing up, like, you know, I was in a band called out of reach in high school uh, in like freshman and sophomore year mm -hmm. and we had like a couple pretty big opportunities um like we were pretty consistent you know rehearsals and doing gigs and like um probably not good enough to really make it big but definitely great and i wrote all the music and it was terrible like i have recordings of some of the songs <laughs> and it's just embarrassing awesome. to listen to. <laughs> um but you know it it did like it, it, it was it was a really great fun experience to and also to look back and be like yeah i did love that and i do love you know what i mean it's one of those things where you if you're doing it as a kid and you did it for fun mm -hmm. that, that's probably something that you should you, you you love you know and you kept doing it because i was such a distracted kid i had so many things i could have done and i wanted to write music mm -hmm. you know and i would do that by myself on my guitar so I, I did that and then I went to college and obviously I had so many different, you know, focuses. I was playing football and there were there was probably those first three years of college where I didn't write music. I was mm -hmm. very focused on sports and my music major. And then my junior year, I um I was like I remember I was working with this guy like in New York who needed who sent me like a, a track and said, Hey, could you write to this? Because you know I could sing. I was like, sure, I wrote it and I wrote it i wrote two and it's very pop and it you know i was like this is cool i i kind of love doing that just writing to that track and it really came naturally <clears throat> so i did the whole deal where i bought um bought the equipment i bought an m box too yeah like yeah <laughs> yeah that feels like an ancient yeah tank <laughs> piece of hardware but i bought one of those and i like learn how to use it you know this was cool because i used my music money that i had bought you know made from years back session singing to buy this equipment bought speakers i was in college in my you know in, in my place and um it, it was an interesting time too because i this is a, a deeper more personal time of my life but i was going through an addiction i was i was i tore my meniscus my senior junior year of college mm -hmm. and i was gonna go i thought i was gonna go to the nfl at an agent and i was you know really excited about things and mm -hmm. i tore my meniscus and so um i 
got addicted to pain medication. Mm. It was like, and I didn't know I was addicted or anything. I just kind of was taking it every day. And it, it made me kind of a recluse a little bit. And mm. so I bought all this equipment and I spent 10 hours a day in my room writing songs and learning how to produce music, playing the keyboard, like playing my guitar, just like being a weirdo a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know, and I think it, it was crazy because it was it was a time in my life where it was like a two, it was like a year span, year and a half span where I just was, you know, heavily addicted to drugs. And, you know, it was getting worse and worse. Mm -hmm. um, but I was also super in, engulfed in my music. And um, when I graduated, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I, I thought I was maybe going to go to the NFL and then that fell through. And then, so I moved back home and I, you know, had this addiction going on, which nobody knew about. Mm. Uh, my parents didn't know, nobody knew. And um, started getting on a show, a TV show where, you know, I'm making more, a lot of tons of money and just fed my addiction more and more. So mm. that was not great for me. And then I, um, I ended up deciding to, you know, realizing, wow, this is a problem. You know, it, it was, this, it was, it got to the point where I was heavily addicted to oxycodone and I was, mm -hmm. it was not good. So I, and no one knew still, by the way, no one ever knew, never told anyone that during that time. Um, so I got on stuff, stuff called Suboxone to get off that. And that took about three years, but that period of time was all session singing, working, you know, and like just, kind of hiding, embarrassed and a little bit in the dark, but I was always writing music, but I never released anything. I never wanted it. I never felt legitimate. I never felt I, I, I was in this holding pattern of kind of a, a dark place of like, I'm not worth releasing a song, you know? Yeah. And, and it was a weird thing. And, um, but I was writing all these very like personal songs. And uh, when I got, when I got off Suboxone, which Suboxone just helps you get off it. it it doesn't give you which or there's no you don't get the withdrawals from the opioids but it's still an opioid so you still get addicted to that hmm. and you have to wean off that yeah. doctors you know for a time believed that that was people should be on suboxone forever hmm. but i was like this feels bad this doesn't feel good so i weaned down and then i got off and i went through a crazy amount of withdrawals uh hmm. it was a life-changing moment for me but it was like it was it was a, it was huge for me because i felt like I climbed, conquered a mountain, you know? Um, and when I got on the other side of that, I had so much to say and I had so much to share. And I really felt like, wow, I do want to release music. I do want to talk and I do want to tell people in these songs. And so I started releasing music and that's what kind of made me want to release the songs that I was writing. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, I had been writing for other artists a lot, like all the time with my mm -hmm. buddy Taco. <laughs> like for you know sweden and songs and k-pop and yeah. so when i you know but this this was specifically for my project and i felt like wow i want to tell my story and so if you go listen to my music on spotify which you please do mm -hmm. um there's probably 24 songs no there's like 30 songs that i've released so far and um and a lot of them are about my past relationship um, that I was in, it was super hard. And then they're about my addiction and my, um, just kind of experience through all that. 
and and then you won't find them to be like a story like a book you're going to read about these stories it's more just a you know that's you'll be able to feel it in there i think yeah uh, but yeah wow. so that was that was the thing that made me want to write music and i realized i was good at it and yeah that's a really, really powerful story. And thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I did I did just put your links um, in the comments thank to you. your site and to your um, Spotify. But um, I, that's so incredible that you, so you were fighting this or dealing with this on your own this yeah. whole time? Yeah, yeah. And kind of using music as, a lifeline yeah. would you say you know in life it was ultimately everything would have suffered had it gone any longer mm -hmm. but uh because i think you know and i always say this because addiction something that sticks with you forever mm -hmm. and you can't really say like i overcame addiction because it's once you're an addict like there's something you know i i know i'm an addictive I have an addictive personality, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I do know that. But before I got addicted, I didn't know that John Hall was capable of getting addicted. John mm -hmm. Hall came from a super Christian family with, you know, that that those type of people don't get addicted to drugs. Sure. Yeah. You know, these things all just didn't seem possible for a guy like me. But that's just crazy to say. Mm -hmm. and, and now it doesn't make any sense. But before it did. And so to go through an addiction from go through that addiction and come out of it, realize, wow, <clears throat> I can definitely be addicted to things. Mm -hmm. I have to be careful. Yeah. And um, so knowing that for me was huge. And so I, what I was trying to say was that being raised in a family like I was, where, you know, my, my family did give me, have belief in me that I could be somebody, that I was special, mm -hmm. that I had a future. And so I think that's what pushed me forward because I really believed that myself. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that I believe that the medication I was taking was going to ruin my future. Yeah. And I think when I came to that, and that's a huge thing for addicts too, is you got to come to the conclusion yourself. You know, everybody's going to tell you, everybody can tell you around you, but if you don't come to the conclusion yourself, it doesn't end. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Wow. That's because such, that's so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing mm -hmm. that. I know that's going to be really meaningful to everybody that's listening to this. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many things I want to ask you about just from, from your history. And, and I, I had hoped to um, talk about your, uh, your marriage because you're somewhat of a newlywed, right? And, yeah. and your, your wife is in the business and yes. I know that that's a whole nother oh. you know, arena of questions, but yeah. um, I'd love to have you back sometime, but I, yeah. I, you know, want to thank you for taking the time uh, to be here with me and to share so openly with us. And I want to um, close with one final question that I've been asking all my guests. And that is what makes you unstoppable? Ooh. Wow. What makes me unstoppable? I would say uh, my love for music. Yeah. My love for this, this craft that um, I'm lucky enough and be to have the gift to do. Because mm -hmm. I know people get to do jobs that are nine to fives. Yeah. And people do jobs that are anything. You know, anything else, if you're not doing your passion, I mean, I'm just so lucky that I get to do, I get to make money doing what I love every day, even if sometimes I'm not making money doing it.
Thanks so much for joining us. If you love this conversation as much as I did and would like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with The Unstoppable Singer and get all the behind the scenes content, you can follow me on Instagram at Unstoppable Singer. And while you're there, please share this episode on your Instagram stories and tag me at Unstoppable Singer. Once again, I'm Danielle Tucker, a professional singer and vocal coach. I've spent the last 25 years crafting a successful career for myself in the music industry and showing other aspiring singers how to do the same. The world needs your voice now more than ever. So get out there and create an unstoppable career. Thanks so much for joining.